It took until the 10th week of the NFL season, but we finally have our signature game as the Vikings come from behind to win a wild, epic overtime game in Buffalo. Also, break up the Packers as they did the same to save their season versus the Cowboys. TCU hangs on to win at Texas to keep themselves alive in the top four in college football. I'll have what's happening in the NBA, NHL, time to turn on the hot stove for MLB, and a middleweight fight in MMA that was surprising. Where else are you going to have all this covered in one podcast? It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The middle of November is here, and so is the latest on all that's happening in the world of sports. Thanks for stopping by to get your fill and then some, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. As we inch closer to Thanksgiving, just 10 days away, and I'm sure a lot of people are looking to be festive and getting together with family, and hopefully everybody will be safe, but that is not until we get to next week, but I'm sure everybody's anticipating that as the holiday season is just about here. But as we start off this podcast, and we talked about this last week, and now we could finally, as NFL fans, exhale just a little bit. Because for the first nine weeks of this season, as I chronicled in the past few podcasts, this NFL season to date has not been one to remember. And I'll say it kindly. But yesterday, we finally have our signature game to hang our hats on. What took place in Buffalo, a heavyweight bout to say the least between two of the top teams in the sport. I get a lot of people are going to look at the Vikings as that team, considering who they played up until this point of the year, and them having an early season loss to the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles, people aren't going to put them in the pantheon as the Buffalo Bills are, as the Kansas City Chiefs are, as the aforementioned Eagles. And here they were in Orchard Park yesterday, down by 17 points. And who would have thought that the Vikings, who have had some big comebacks this year in games against the Lions earlier this year, and it for one, and when we take a... Big look at this one. I'm sure at 27-10, a lot of people were thinking that the Vikings aren't made for primetime. The Vikings can't hang with this caliber type of team. And sure enough, even at 27-10, late in the third quarter, Dalvin Cook peels off an 81-yard touchdown run, which was arguably the biggest play in the game. And I say that because when you have a team that's down by three scores... And for them to get it right back in one shot to get themselves within two scores, that was a bit of a momentum builder because as we saw what happened throughout the course of the fourth quarter and obviously toward the end of the game, the Vikings, even if they'd gotten a touchdown off of a three-minute drive, but knowing that you got it in one quick strike from one of your heavy hitters in Dalvin Cook, 
I'm sure that breathed a little life into their team. I'm sure that made them think that all we needed is to get the ball back, get another drive to get ourselves within one score, which we saw them do on the following drive. But that was a play that I'm sure a lot of people, when they watched that game yesterday, if it didn't happen, chances are the Vikings would have went meekly out into the Buffalo night. But as it was, they get the score. They also get a touchdown later where they converted on two fourth downs. And it wasn't the drive after, of course, people. It was later on midway through the fourth quarter. But they had a couple of big fourth down conversions. And then they were able to get it into the end zone. Unfortunately for them, the extra point was hit off the upright. So instead of it being a one-score game where all they needed was a field goal to tie, it was 27-23. to And then this is where the madness ensues because as we get toward the end of the game, and especially on the Vikings' final drive of regulation, at 27-23 where the Vikings were in their own territory, and then after Kirk Cousins gets sacked, and he did throw a couple of bad interceptions, which would scare me in a big spot when it comes to Cousins, and we've seen that happen to him in the past especially in big games. But in this spot, after he gets sacked and it's 4th and 18 and they have no choice but to go for it, you saw one of the more incredible catches that you could probably ever see in a big spot. And granted, it's in a week 10 in a regular season. So nobody's going to really remember that. But if the Vikings somehow, someway, get themselves deep into January and maybe even into the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona in February, people will not only circle this game, but they'll look at that catch as being one of the biggest catches in regular season history. And people could say, oh, Jay Reels, will you stop? You're getting carried away. I understand the Vikings have to get to that certain point. But everybody ballyhoos the Odell Beckham Jr. catch that happened in what? A November day in 2014? Where that catch is going to live forever? But here it was, Justin Jefferson making this catch where as he leaps, gets it with one hand, comes down to the turf, and it looks like it's going to be stripped by the defensive player, and somehow, some way, it doesn't even hit the ground. So Jefferson makes this catch to keep the drive alive. Next thing you know, they march on down the field, and just when you thought that they're going to be able to punch it in, they had about five or six shots to get it into the end zone there on first and goal. And remember, they also had a fourth and goal where... Dalvin Cook, ball passed into the flat, was dropped off sides to get another shot there. And Kirk Cousins, who I understand may not be Tom Brady or a Dante Culpepper or a big, strong, huh, look at the other sideline and Josh Allen, where you're going to sneak it in and pretty much they're on the one-inch line. Looked like with a second effort that Cousins was able to get into the end zone, but he did not. So therefore, ball turned over on downs. The Bills look like they're going to salt the game away 43 seconds to go, and then what happens? Again, at that one-inch line, Josh Allen can't really do too much. They don't have a big bruising running back or a fullback that could give you a little bit of breathing room, whether it be a yard or two. Sure enough, Allen tries to sneak it out from the shadow of the goal line, and what happens? Fumbles the ball. Eric Kendricks of the Vikings recovers it in the end zone. 41 seconds to go. I've never seen a play like that in all the years that I've watched football. Because generally, a team will get out of there at least, maybe not with a yard or two, but maybe a couple of inches or maybe a foot to give themselves another down and trying to, because I believe the Vikings did have one timeout, to give themselves another shot to at least get a few yards and then they could just ice the game and go home with a victory. But as it was, it's fumbled there, recovered by the Vikings, touchdown, and you're thinking the game is over. But with 41 seconds left to go on the clock, and even with no timeouts, Sure enough, Josh Allen, who looked like his elbow was fine, and I know that was a big storyline heading into the weekend where it was pretty much hour by hour, not knowing whether or not Josh Allen was going to start this game yesterday, but he seemed to be throwing the ball fine, trying to zip it in there, floating the ball here and there, but he was able to do so on the final drive of regulation to where it set him up for the game-time field goal, and kudos to the Bills because there was the one pass there on the sideline, Gabe Davis where even on a replay, it did look dubious at first, but I thought it was a catch, but when they slowed it up, and Davis did a remarkable job just trying to haul in the pass as he had two hands diving toward the sideline, and as he tried to corral it, you could see that there was a little bit of space where he didn't have complete control. Therefore, with the Bills running up to the line of scrimmage and being able to 
snap the ball and have the next play where they didn't review it, but bad job by the NFL because under two minutes, it doesn't matter. You don't need a coach's challenge there by the Vikings. All those plays need to be reviewed, and what they should have done was even as Allen and company were running up to the line of scrimmage, the NFL and the referees should have blown the whistle, taken a look upstairs, and it would have been an incomplete pass because that changes the whole outlook there because let's say if that pass wasn't completed, then you have to tack on an extra down, no timeouts. Will the Bills be able to set themselves up in field goal range even after that play if it was called incomplete? In this day and age with the NFL, chances are that probably would have been the case, but instead of Tyler Bass kicking, what was it, a 28-yard field goal, he probably would have had to kick a 48-yard field goal, which is a world of difference, but with the NFL today, you just never know because these kickers could kick from 60 yards in their sleep. That's how good they've been over the course of the last, whatever, half decade plus. So the game gets tied, you go into overtime, Vikings were able to get the field goal on the opening drive, and then the Bills as they were marching down the field, and you get it. With the clock winding down, it was under two minutes. You're not trying to play for a tie there. That's the last thing you want to do. So on second and 10, as Allen was trying to take a shot into the end zone, picked off there by Patrick Peterson, and the Vikings prevail in leaps and bounds and bar none, the best game of the year. For the Vikings, that was... Let's face it, they did get a gift from the football gods with Josh Allen fumbling the ball there, an early Christmas gift from him to the Vikings because there was no way that they should have lost the game. I understand things happen when you have so many bodies there and a lot of pressure just to try to get the ball snapped to your quarterback and just to get some daylight to get some breathing room and even with the Vikings having to burn their last time out, but still, that was a play that I'm sure 99.9% of the time you'll always have whether he gets stopped there, whether he gets an inch, let alone get stopped right there at the goal line, but provided that he does not fumble the ball, which you rarely see. And he can't take a safety there, people, because that's another thing. People were thinking, oh, maybe he could take a safety. You can't do that because with the score 27-23, if he takes a safety there, you got to punt the ball back to them. And with one timeout, they could go down the field to kick a field goal. So yes, if it was more than four points, or more than five points, because you don't even want to have them set up to where they could even tie the game with a field goal. But if it was 27-21, and you want Allen, although very risky, because it's still 40-something seconds left on the clock, and God forbid when you punt the ball after a safety, you may get a muff. Anything can happen, as we all know, but you cannot take a safety there unless you absolutely have to. Maybe if there was 12 seconds left in the game, you could probably do that, but not in that case. But for... The Vikings to get that victory, and you know you're never going to throw wins back in the NFL, that was enormous. They were able to come back from a 17-point deficit on the road. Not only that, they were able to get out of there alive, and you know that they could send all the Christmas cards to Buffalo they want, but they did what they had to do. They were able to get on that ball, they were able to recover it, and yes, you could say that they didn't deserve to win the game, but it doesn't matter, they won. And in a hostile environment, that's not an easy place to play. And for them to win that game goes, for me, a lot could be said for that team, for their will. Now, I understand that look at me now, you could put that on hold if you're a Viking fan, especially Kirk Cousins, because you know he has that little look at me now and he wants to not necessarily make it all about him, but again, so many naysayers and doubters that go against Kirk Cousins, if he wants to do that, fine, but we need to see this in January, Kirk, so let's put that on ice if you could, but kudos to them, a big win, a big performance by their team, Justin Jefferson, what more can you say about the kid, the guy is, after that performance yesterday, you could say he's the best receiver in the league, I'm sorry, I understand there's certain factions that could say even with him being suspended for the first six games, but a lot of people look at DeAndre Hopkins, a lot of people look at Devontae Adams, and obviously his star has fallen a lot this year in Vegas. Right now, you could definitely say that the best receiver is Justin Jefferson. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. And then on the flip side with the Bills, I'd have concerns about this team. And not because they lost yesterday, not because they lost two in a row, but the one thing that the Bills have not been able to do here especially over the last few years. You could even take this back to the 
couple of years ago where, all right, in the AFC Championship game, they lost to the Chiefs. Chiefs are riding high. Okay, fine. No problem. But all you can do is look back in the calendar just, what, 10 months ago? 13 seconds left. And I understand that was more on the coaching than it was maybe on the quarterback or the team itself. But they weren't able to seal the deal in Kansas City in the divisional playoff game. They weren't able to seal the deal in Miami when they had the ball and there could have been some clock management issues there at the end in week number three where the Bills, I understand it was 100 degrees on the field and they had a war of attrition with the elements there, but there was a bit of a screw up there at the end where they were trying to get themselves set up for a game-winning field goal. They weren't even able to do that. You could even look at the game last week against the Jets where they weren't able to seal the deal with them. And then yesterday, when you're up 17 at home and it's late in the third quarter and we understand that the touchdown run, that could happen at any time, it could happen to anybody. All right, understood. But you still have a double-digit lead. You are unable to be able to extend drives. You weren't able to get another point until the field goal at the end of regulation. And you have to wonder the mentality of this team and even more so the testicular fortitude. Because for all the good things that they did in the first two and a half quarters, and yes, they were able to move the ball there on that final drive, and they did get lucky with the Gabe Davis non-call there. But this Bill team, you have to wonder between the ears whether or not there's a little bit of an issue with their psyche. And yes, they did win on the road in Kansas City. Yes, they did win in Baltimore, and they were down in that game. I get it. But for whatever the reason, whether they just feel like they're going to win this game and have this irrational confidence, I don't know if that's more of a product of the head coach than it is the players, but the coach is going to have to lead this team. So whether they feel like they're better than what their record is and they're going to puff out their chest to say, ah, we're just going to chalk it up to us not performing well, or are they really looking at each other man to man to say, this is unacceptable. We should have won this game yesterday and there was no reason for us to not only not be able to hold a 17-point lead but even to fumble there late in the game where all they had to do was just get a couple of inches and then after a timeout get another foot and the game is over. So you really have to wonder whether or not what's really inside this team's chest. And I'm going to pay attention to that moving forward. And yes, like I said, they did have some big wins early this year. Or you could say, well, Jay Reels, well, what happened in Baltimore when they were down big there? Or what happened in Kansas City when they were able to gut out a game and pick off Patrick Mahomes there late? Understood. And I get that. But now you're getting deeper into the season. And when you saw what happened there last week at the Meadowlands, and granted, give it up for the Jets defense as we talked about last week. And then yesterday, what do you say with a 17-point lead? And we're not trying to make this Buffalo Bill team out to be the 85 Bears, as far as that defense goes. Understood. But come on. It's not as if this Viking team, granted with their 7-1 record and the talent that they have on offense, but it's not as if this team has overcome a lot this year. Or it's not as if this team has been able to beat big teams along the way where, oh, this doesn't come as a surprise by them coming back and beating a Super Bowl caliber team on the road. No. This is all a shock, if you ask me. And granted, it goes back to that one play to fumble at the goal line there by Josh Allen. Understood. But they should have won the game. And that's one thing I'm going to pay attention to moving forward when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. My second winner goes to the Green Bay Packers. And this game was definitely a savior season game because who would have thought that even at 28-14, late in the third quarter, even into the fourth quarter, where Aaron Rodgers, I believe, heading into the fourth quarter threw, what, 11 passes? And wasn't much of a factor in the first three quarters of the game. I don't know if you want to attribute that all to the Cowboy defense. But with the biggest play of the game by far in their season. Fourth and seven. Where they had to go for it. What was it? 13 and a half minutes to go. And there they were at the Cowboy 39 yard line. Where Rodgers is looking, looking. And he finds Christian Watson deep in the seam for a touchdown. And that propelled them to get themselves... Another score later on the game, which Kristen Watson had a hat trick when it came to scores on the day. But the Packer offense, as we've seen here over the last month plus, not do much. You had the Jets and Giants beat them, whether it was in London or in Green Bay. 
not being much of a factor in Buffalo there the day before Halloween. The Lion game last week where Rodgers threw three interceptions and you're thinking at 28-14, this Packer team is going to be roadkill. And here it was. Fourth and seven, they get the touchdown. Then, of course, later on, they come back to tie the game. And then we could look at the overtime to where Mike McCarthy, the former Packer coach, they're deep in, maybe not deep, he was at the Packer 35-yard line and on a fourth and four, decided to go for it as opposed to kicking a 53-yard field goal. Now, the weather wasn't much of a factor here. It's not as if it was 20 degrees or 30 degrees with a wind chill where you have to wonder about your place kicker there being able to connect on a 53-yarder. And I understand that he was trying to see if his offense could get the first down. They were able to move the ball at times successfully, but you got to give it a shot there. I understand we just talked about it a little while ago. These kickers can make long field goals. And I could see if he had to deal with the elements, 20-mile-an-hour winds, or just bitter cold to where snap to placement, etc. was going to be a possible foul up there when it comes to trying to connect on a, not necessarily a game-winning field goal, but just a field goal to extend the game and see what the Packers would do in the ensuing possession. But I thought they should have tried to at least have the field goal there And I get it. You're going to give the ball back to Green Bay there, even at a miss at the 43-yard line. Understood. But that's something I would have tried to at least extend the lead and see what the Packers would do in their on-swing possession. And as we saw, the Packers, the big pass to Alan Lazard, where he raced down the field, set themselves up in field goal range, and then Mason Crosby kicks the game winner and a lifesaver for the Packers as they live to see another week. And the Cowboys... A tough loss. I mean, what could you say? Not just a tough loss, but a bitter one, to say the least. But they could afford it. I understand when they're in a division where the Eagles could now pretty much run and hide if they win tonight at home against Washington because they'll have a three and a half game lead on the Cowboys in the NFC East and put themselves even in good stead in the conference because they have to stay ahead of the Vikings. Even if they were to lose tonight, the Eagles, they still have the tiebreaker because they beat Minnesota earlier this year. But that's just a tough loss for the Cowboys, no matter how you cut it. As far as my losers of the week, and I have one, it has to be the Chicago Bears. And I understand for all the good things that they've done here over the last few weeks, and the offense opening up for Justin Fields, not necessarily with his arm, more so with his legs, but it has opened up the passing game a little bit where he's put up some good numbers. But yesterday, what could you say? The Bears had a good opportunity to get themselves another win, some momentum there. And what did they do? They spit the bit. And I understand that even when they took the lead there at 30-24, to 24, but they missed an extra point, which was huge because then the Lions come down the field, get the game-winning touchdown, and of course tack on the extra point. And even with Justin Fields trying to will his team to come back for some last-minute heroics, that wasn't the case. And the Bears, for all the good feeling that you had, and even though a productive game for Fields... He had a ton of yards on the ground, as you saw the week before. What did he have, 178 on the ground just his own, which was a an all-time record for a quarterback in a regular season game. And he follows that up with 147 yards on the ground. But they fall short and lose at home to a Lion team who's now won back-to-back games and in the division, I might add. But for the Bears, not good. And I understand they're not going to go anywhere this year. But you figured that with the way they performed and even with the loss last week against the Miami Dolphins, but you figure if they got a win under their belt and you want to see production and progression with this team as you get into the second half of the year, but you did not see that and just a tough loss for the Bears. I understand a team that's going nowhere, but still, that's a game that you have to win considering what they did throughout the course of the game and obviously the last couple of weeks as I mentioned. And yesterday in the sport... Not really much else other than those two games. Are you going to get crazy about Seattle and Tampa in Germany where the Buccaneers were pretty much in cruise control the whole game? And even though Seattle made it close late, but Tampa ends up winning and getting their record back to 5-5. Five and five. I'm not even going to go to the Thursday night game with Atlanta and Carolina. Just goes to show you that Atlanta, even with them being in first place tied coming into the weekend, but they're not ready to make that next leap. And especially with Marcus Mariotti as your quarterback. I get it. Give credit to Arthur Smith, the coach, and what they've been able to do here 
even with the Buccaneers being bad here in the first half of the season, but still, now you figure that they're going to go out the pasture for the rest of this year and pretty much be unheard from. Denver and Tennessee, I understand that came down to the final few minutes, but when you look at a 17-10 game, and you pretty much that was a game that you're going to expect when it comes to these two teams, and it's not going to be high scoring, it's not going to be riveting to say the least, although we did get to see some drama there toward the end, but it wasn't enough as the comeback by the Broncos. And it was interesting too, because there was one play that I was watching there toward the end where there was a fumble recovery and I thought Tennessee had the ball, but I guess it was overturned. So therefore the Broncos did have another shot, but they were unable to execute. And as we all know, the Broncos have had a season from hell. And for all the expectations that were in mile high country, it has not been anything but that as far as positive or good I believe that number was 10.5 in Vegas this year, and they're going to fall well short of that. And then also to keep it in the AFC West, the Raiders 2-7, and and this is with Jeff Saturday as the coach of the Colts, who have never coached anything in college, pros, etc. As you saw in the post-game press conference with Derek Carr and how he was just emotional, talking about how much he puts his blood, sweat, and tears and even questioned some of the teammates. Obviously didn't point anyone out in particular, but knows that he wants to be part of Raider Nation. He wants to be part of this turnaround. He knows what they did last year and for whatever the reason, it hasn't worked this year and he didn't say anything bad about the coach. He believes in what Josh McDaniels has done, although me as a fan from afar does not. And the Raiders... Even with, again, Broncos, Raiders, expectations falling way short and they lose to the Colts there. Even with Jeff Saturday getting his first win and even with him bringing back Matt Ryan. And I'm sure he knew well that Sam Ellinger wasn't the guy, even though he's a lot more mobile than Ryan, but he feels as he has a better chance to win games with Ryan, even with the bad shoulder and all. And they were able to win the game yesterday, so give it up for the Colts and what they did. But the Raiders, ugh, talk about a lost season and then some. Kansas City beating Jacksonville, no shock there. I know the big hit that Juju Smith-Schuster took, it was huge. You saw him there on the ground, crumbled, and that was just a bad sight to see. But four touchdowns from Mahomes. And that's another thing too. Think about this. As I mentioned about the Bills and not having the testicular fortitude, now they're behind the Chiefs in the AFC. And even though they have a tiebreaker with the Ravens, with the Ravens having to buy yesterday, But now, their destiny to win the AFC, and there's still a lot of games to go. There's still eight games left in the season, pretty much half a season. But now, they are going to have to play from behind because with the Chiefs overtaking them in the AFC, they do not control their destiny to get the one seed, which will desperately be needed if they have any shot to make it to a Super Bowl this year. Because that means they'll have to go back to Kansas City if it happens to break the way it does over the course of the rest of this regular season. But that's for down the road. That's for more to discuss. But right now, the Chiefs have the top slot where pretty much for the whole season, the Buffalo Bills were in control of the AFC. Giants beating the Texans yesterday. No big whoop there. I know Saquon had a big game on the ground, 152 yards. And the Giants, they're kind of like the Vikings in this regard because they have not beaten, all right, you want to say Green Bay in London? All right. I'll give you that because it was earlier on in the season and Green Bay was still, I guess you want to say, a threat in the NFC. But it's not as if the Giants have been world beaters and beating the top teams. All right, you want to say the Ravens? And granted, the Ravens did have a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. All right, I'll give you that. They did lose at Seattle. They did lose against the Cowboys at home. But at least they do have that one win that they could look at and say, hey, we did beat a Raven team that's 6-3 and three and could do some damage in the AFC. But I don't know. I'm not really a believer in this team. I'm sorry. I know the Giant fans in my life, they're going to say, all right, Jay Reels, you haven't watched the Giants. You haven't really followed them, so shut up. You can't say anything. But seriously, are you going to really believe in this quarterback when it's deep into December and in January if they do make it to the playoffs? And I think they're going to make the playoffs. I really fully believe that they will. Because the rest of the schedule is pretty weak. I mean, they do have the Lions coming into their building. And the Lions have won two in a row. Can they come in and win three in a row? I don't think so. Thanksgiving with the quick turnaround. 
at Cowboys is going to be a big game. Then they have the Commanders and Eagles at home. As a matter of fact, they also have the Commanders after that. So two to three weeks after that, Commanders. Then they have the Colts at home. All right, they have the Eagles a couple of times. They have to go to Minnesota. But they have some easy games there. So you figure that even if they split with the Eagles, split with the Commanders, and beat the Lions, that's 10 wins right there, and that's going to make the postseason. So that's what we have there with the Giants. But the rest of this NFL schedule, all right, I'll talk briefly about the Steelers. Yes, they ran the ball 217 yards to the Saints 26 yards. And the Saints were inept on offense. TJ Watt was back in the mix, which had some presence there on the defensive side. I know no Minka Fitzpatrick as he was out with a appendectomy. And you're probably not going to see him for a few weeks on top of that because it's going to take time for that to heal. And obviously with a lot of the contact that's going to be made, you cannot have any type of disruptions or I could say you can't have a point where you're going to re-injure yourself when it comes to having an appendectomy. So you're probably not going to see him for at least another couple of weeks. But Kenny Pickett ran for a touchdown. Same for George Pickens. Their defense was good, but the Saint offense is not going to be confused with the Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, the old Alvin Kamara offense of years past. And the Steelers were able to win a game for Mike Tomlin, who has now beaten... 31 of the 32 NFL teams, obviously with him being a Steeler coach, he has not coached against the Steelers, but he finally gets a win under his belt against a team that he had not beaten in three tries prior to that. I talked about that on the podcast on Thursday, but that's all you have there. Najee Harris had 99 yards rushing, good for him, but the Steelers were able to get in a win column off of a bye against the Saints. Miami beaten up the Browns, And that's a shock there. If you're a Brown fan, you got to be very disappointed. Did you have any shot to win this game? Well, if you kept it on the ground, probably. But too much Tua, too much offense. The Browns, I had a feeling they were going to have a long season. And even with Deshaun Watson coming back in a few weeks, he's not going to be the guy that's going to put on a cape and save this team, at least I think. The guy hasn't taken a ball in the snap since late January 2021 of the NFL season. And I'm not talking about late January 2021 or late last year, his last game, by the time he goes under center, was going to be 23 months prior to that. So all of a sudden, I'm going to expect this guy to wave a magic wand and to be miraculous and start winning games and putting themselves in conversation for a fringe playoff? No, not this guy. Arizona and the Rams... What more can I say about this? Cooper Cup left with a big injury, so who knows what his status is going to be moving forward. We already had Matthew Stafford out because of concussion protocol. John Wolford had to come in, and Wolford is woebegone for this team who is not going to make the playoffs. And coming off of a Super Bowl where I get it, you could give them a pass, but three and six at this point, I'm sure you are not expecting that if you are a Ram fan. And then you had the... Chargers and Niners where the Niners won a game up in the not so far Bay Area because they would play in Santa Clara as we know but this game I didn't really watch much of it I was kind of footballed out by the Sunday night game but you had the Niners victorious there and now they're five and four and they keep themselves in pace with the Seattle Seahawks who the Seahawks after losing in Germany early in the day to have a half game advantage ahead of the Niners and of course if the Niners do win next week I believe the Seahawks have their bye next week considering they're going to be coming back or they're already back from playing in Europe but if the Niners do win this upcoming week they'll be tied atop of the NFC West for first place and therefore have the advantage because they did beat the Niners or they beat the Seahawks excuse me earlier this year in week two so that's something you have to pay attention to and keep in mind of but besides that that's your NFL week number 10 And then, of course, Washington and Philadelphia is going to cap off the week with a game tonight, ESPN, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman. And before I move on to college football, I will say this. As we look ahead to the second half of this NFL season, and it's too early to kind of break down. I understand I talked about how the Chiefs now have the top seed in the AFC, as well as Buffalo now slipping back. And you got to wonder what their psyche is going to be for the second half of the season. Also, with... Minnesota, keeping pace with the Eagles, 
And yes, we could start to turn the attention to that. But to me, you got to get to week 13 or at least past that to really get into the teeth of the final four weeks of the NFL schedule to see how this shakes down. And right now, the only thing I'm going to say about the upcoming second half, you would only hope that the Packers could jumpstart their second half with that win yesterday. Not to say that you need Aaron Rodgers to be part of this discussion when it comes to the postseason, but without him, it's going to be a huge void. We're going to see if the Eagles can continue their undefeated season. You want to look at where they could possibly slip up. Here are their games over the course. I'm going to just go to go to the next four weeks. Commanders tonight at Indianapolis, home to the Packers, home to the Titans. So three of the next four games are at home. Could they slip up in Indy next week? Possibly. They may even get flexed out of the Green Bay, or maybe not with their win yesterday. You would think Green Bay and Philadelphia, they're going to show that game. Even if the Packers lose next week, they're going to say that it's, oh, do or die for the Packers to save their season. So that game's not going to get flexed. And then the Titans, I think these are games are at home where they should win. And I'm not going to go to the final few games of the season because they're going to lose a game here, people. They're not going to run the table and go 17-0. They're just not. They still have to go to Dallas. They're going to Chicago, which who knows what Bear team's going to show up then. And even with the weather, that could be a factor. That's the week before Christmas. But that's one storyline a lot of people are going to look at here in the second half. Other than that, Unless we start seeing some of these teams that were surprises come back to the pack, whether it be the Seahawks, whether it be the Giants, especially in the NFC, whether it be even the Jets in the AFC, if they can continue their good fortunes and good vibes that they have going on in Florham Park. Right now, they're currently fifth in the AFC, but can they continue to play well? Can the Dolphins keep pace with some of the behemoths in the AFC, a la Kansas City, even Buffalo? And one thing about Buffalo, they've played two division games. And I believe in the last five, six weeks of the season, they have four division games and they're 0-2 in the division. Keep that in mind. But when I take a look at the second half of this NFL season, unless some of these teams are going to come back to the pack and some of the teams that we expect to do well raise their game a la Green Bay, forget about the Rams. I think the Rams are toast. But unless we see that shift, then... This second half may be just as, I won't go as far as saying an abomination as I have said in the past, but we may not have a lot of intrigue or drama similar to the baseball season when it came to the final few weeks with the wild card and the pennant races. You may have the same scenario there. Because other than maybe the Bengals making a charge, because they're on the outside looking in right now. The Chargers, they've taken a step back and they're on the outside looking in right now. Green Bay, currently... They're on the outside looking in right now. Those are some of the teams that people are going to pay attention to. And if that's all you have here for the rest of this regular season, and hopefully it changes, and I think it will, but you may not have a whole hell of a lot here between now and I'll say week 13, 14. Let's start there because who knows? A lot could change in the next four weeks. But let's see. The NFL is going to continue to march on. The Shield's going to have its dings and dents into it. But we all know the NFL is king when it comes to sports here in this country. As I turn my attention to college football, not much going on here this past weekend. TCU, we talked about them being in the spotlight. And the Horned Frogs in their first game as a team that's in the top four when it comes to the college football playoff. And they were able to survive in Texas. They had a late fumble recovery where they... Were able to get into the end zone late in the fourth quarter, but they were able to hold on. Defense was the big factor here for TCU as they they were able to win 17-10 on the road. So they're going to keep their number four slot intact at least for another week. LSU in another defensive struggle at Arkansas. They were able to hang on there to win 13-10. So no harm, no foul when it comes to a lot of these teams that are looking to try to see if they could not only inch closer, but also knock out the number four Horn Frogs because nobody's touching Georgia, Ohio State, or Michigan, at least as of right now. But we understand that TCU is undefeated, and until they lose, that's when they're going to take a few steps back. But LSU, as we all know, with two losses, but with big wins here over the course of the last month, and they still keep pace and actually move up in the rankings because of Oregon. And Oregon, not to say they were no-show, but Washington... 
put it on them in their building, which you can forget about Oregon as far as being any part of this discussion for a college football playoff as they lose 37-34. So we don't have to worry about them being a part of this mix. So when we look at college football on a whole, we're going to look at obviously the top four followed by Tennessee. LSU moves up because Oregon was ranked six, so they move down. That means USC, Alabama, Clemson, Utah round off your top 10. So again, after Tennessee, amongst the top four, you have LSU six, USC seventh, Alabama, Clemson, Utah, round out the top 10. And I'm sure they're waiting for TCU who has a game at Baylor later on, or of course this upcoming week, which is going to be huge for them because then they have Iowa State followed after that. And then if they go ahead and win their Big 12 conference, then they're going to be in the college football Final Four. And then it's up to what happens with Ohio State and Michigan to see what other team could sneak in there come later this month. But that's what you have pretty much in college football. Nothing else besides that as we move it along here on the podcast. Now I'll put on my high tops to get into the NBA where you have a couple of things percolating here. I know the whole scenario with the Lakers and Nets are always going to be storylines. I'm trying not to go there, people. I don't want to have the same regurgitated narrative that you see elsewhere. Yes, the Lakers did win yesterday against the Nets. Talk about irony there. No Kyrie. Although he's been in good graces with the organization, they have had discussions, but there isn't a timetable as to when he'll return. So they're in the midst of a West Coast trip now. You would think that he'll be playing, you would think at some point this week. And if you're the Nets, you're not going to be stupid. It's time to bring him back. He already served his time for everything that happened there and transpired there 10 days to two weeks ago. So now you can move on. Hopefully he'll be fully vested, which you think he would be, And all the distractions and all the noise, self-inflicted or not, could hopefully be pushed aside and the next season could be on track. Now, as I say that, I'm going to now push that away, even with the Lakers winning. Now 3-10 is their record. But now you have a scenario in the NBA where the Celtics are starting to firing on all cylinders. Now winners of six in a row. They've played well in the stretch. Jason Tatum has been... Arguably the MVP of the league, and I get it. It's only a month into the season. I'm not going to get crazy whether or not. I'm sure a lot of people think Giannis would be your MVP. But Tatum is acting like a top five player in the league. Not even top 10, but top five. And we understand there's still another, what, 68 games to go, 69 games, as they are now 10-3. and But kudos to what they've done here in this early part of the season and Tatum being a big part of that. Other than that, I know I talked about Utah last week and how they've been able to play, break up the Jazz, etc. But the NBA season, not a lot of storylines, at least to this point, especially over the last week. I'm not going to go back to the beginning of the year and everything that has transpired since then. We're talking about it on a week-to-week basis. But the NBA, I know the Warriors are now right at the ship a little bit as they try to get themselves back in good footing, back to 500, back to close, if not at the top of the Western Conference. So if you're a Warrior supporter or fan, I'm sure you don't feel good about your start, but you have to feel a little bit better about the way you've played here over the course of the last eh, five or six days. I understand they did lose the other day and they had Steph Curry pull out a game the other night where he had to score 47 to win. Understandably so, but that's another angle that we could look at here as far as the defending champs and not being able to play well here at the start. But NBA doesn't really have much to offer other than that, what I just mentioned. I know Embiid had 59 there in a win, and we know the Sixers are trying to get themselves on track. And this was on top of Darius Garland scoring 51 earlier in the day. And the Cavs, who have played very well, although they've lost four in a row here after losing their first game and winning eight in a row, now they've lost four in a row. So the Cavaliers, even with Garland's 51, wasn't enough. So you got to wonder whether or not the hot start now with this cool off and we understand ebbs and flows of an NBA season and we're just getting started, etc. I know, but other than that, I know the Wizards have played well now that their winners are four in a row. But again, I know I'm fishing here for some news and for a little bit of juice here in an NBA season that's barely a month old. But other than that, that's what you have here to start 
in this NBA season. I wish I could fish for a little bit more. I wish I could give you a little bit more as far as the NBA goes and whatever else that's happening off the court, not only with drama, but just some good storylines, intriguing storylines, stuff that happened throughout the course of the weekend, a big game, a big performance. I know I talked about Embiid, even Garland, but other than that, you don't really have much when it comes to the association, but let's see what happens in the next few days when we reconvene there on Thursday. As for what's happening on the ice as I lace up my skates, the Vegas Golden Knights who had a nine-game winning streak, well, actually an eight-game winning streak going into the game on Thursday from when we last spoke, and they were winners of nine in a row before they lost to St. Louis at home. And St. Louis, who was mired in an eight-game losing streak at the time, have now won two in a row. But I know a lot of the buzz there when we last spoke was Jack Eichel, the former Buffalo Sabre, going up back to his old stomping grounds. And he did visit the, I know it was once upon a time, what, HSBC Arena. or It was otherwise known as the Odd back in the day. That's the old building going back to the 80s and 90s. And I understand they have a new name, new arena, whatever. But for the Sabres booing the former overall second pick of the 2015 draft, a guy that was the cornerstone franchise player. And when he came back in March of last year and all the boos and everything that he had to endure then and was shocked by how they responded. And a lot of that had to do with the management and not to rehash that and go down that road, but they were able to win a ninth straight. He scored four points in the game, had a hat trick to shut up the crowd and win 7-4. But since then, they did lose and had their nine-game winning streak snapped, like I said, against St. Louis. But they still have the best mark in the Western Conference as they're riding high with a 13-3 record. But the team that has the best record in the whole sport are the Boston Bruins. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about them being the best team in the league, even going back a couple of weeks. But here they are, 14-2. Their winners are four in a row, nine of ten, and have started off their home ice schedule and unprecedented in their franchise history, 9-0. and And they have just been, by far, rock solid, spectacular. They've done it with the veterans that they brought back in the mix, as I've mentioned time after time. Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci. They did get Charlie McAvoy, their outstanding defenseman. Also put in David Pasternak and what he's been able to do. Obviously a big-time goal scorer. And the Bruins, what more can you say about this team? A lot of people thought that the East, or in particular that division, was going to be all about Tampa, maybe even Toronto, even without John Tavares at the start of the season. The Florida Panthers, with a lot that happened with them last year, nobody talked about the Bruins. They were flying under everybody's radar, and here they are, 16 games in, and what is their record? They are 14-2. And they have been, by far, I would even think, to go as far as saying that they've been a surprise this year, I'd have to say that. It's not to say the Bruins are a bad team. It's not to say that they were a team that came out of nowhere or this was unexpected. But you have to admit, a lot of people probably didn't think that the Bruins would get off to this fast of a start to where they are the best team in the sport as of not only today, but what? Five and a half weeks into this NHL season? And you also have to give kudos to Linus Olmark, who has just been phenomenal in net. Guy is pretty much pitching a 1.96 ERA. I know, goals against... Of course, you talk about shutouts, you think of pitchers and you think of goaltenders, they're almost like hand in hand when you think about it. I get it, two different sports, two different positions. But Allmark, 11-1, he has been everything that you could ever ask for and more if you're a Bruin fan. So for the Bruins and for the NHL overall on a whole, again, is there much to discuss there when we talk about the National Hockey League? Other than the... Golden Knights, and even the Bruins for that matter. Yeah, maybe there's a team or two that I could circle or a team or two that I could even rally around to say, hey, look at what they've done so far. And we talked a little bit about it last week with the teams that have gotten off to good starts or slow starts or hot starts, etc. But since we last spoke, pretty much everything is status quo. I know the Devils have been on fire. I talked about them on the podcast Thursday, and they continue to play well. They've won nine in a row, and it's funny, we could talk about hot teams in the sport, and the Devils, they're right up there with both the Golden Knights and the Bruins. So you have to give them some credit as well. We talked about Winnipeg last week and what they've been able to do to get their season off to a great start. Tops in the Central, although they're tied with the Stars of Dallas, but still, and 
NHL, that's what you pretty much have here to this point. Obviously, we'll continue to monitor it. We'll continue to be on top of it. Let's see what happens here over the course of the next few days. I know regular season, unless you get a big-time matchup, which, again, in a long season, these teams play each other a lot. Very rare that you're going to get a matchup that's going to have a lot of magnitude, a lot of buzz. Maybe if you get late in the year, who knows. But that's what you have here so far in the NHL season, one month and change in. Now as I turn my attention, as I get, yes, let's break out the cleats, the batting gloves, the helmet, the bat, etc. Just to touch on a little hot stove, it's not really cooking that much. It's actually not even a burner's on as we put our hands over the stove to see if there's any warmth. Yes, there have been some moves here. Rafael Montero signing a three-year, $34.5 million deal with the Astros. You've had a couple of other deals which aren't really much to go crazy about or to report. When you think of hot stove, you think about the big-time free agents. You think about the Aaron Judges, of course, Jacob deGrom, Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, just to name those guys. No buzz. Nothing has really come out as far as any rumors with teams and reported dollars, years, etc. Generally and historically, Thanksgiving starts to kick up a little bit. Now, the winter meetings aren't until the first week of December. That's where you really start to get some buzz and some rumors because you have all the GMs meeting. You have a lot that's taking place. I believe it's going to be in Arizona off the top of my head. It's usually either Arizona or even Vegas for that matter. But with Thanksgiving being 10 days away and sometimes you get some buzz, you get things percolating around Thanksgiving and who knows what you're going to get this time around with some of the top players. As of right this second, you got nothing. If anything, the big news in the sport over the last week, not only was Dusty Baker getting a one-year extension on his deal, not much of a surprise there, but the Astros GM, Jim Click, turning down a one-year deal to be the GM. And I guess if you're Jim Click, he didn't want to be tied. He felt as if maybe there was some greener pastures out there, that maybe there's another organization that he could latch on to and maybe rebuild or be a part of an organization that he could build on his own. And I understand it's a little bit tricky because even with Click and Baker tied at the hip, so to speak, that let's say if Baker decides to leave after next year or they don't extend him an offer, then you wonder whether the Astros would give him a multi-year deal. So maybe he was protecting himself or as we've said time after time, He was rolling the dice, pushing the chips to the middle of the table or betting on himself to think that he could get a job elsewhere. All right, we'll see, Jim Click, but that was his decision. And if that's what he wanted to do, then understandably and rightfully so. He felt like he may have wanted a multi-year deal. And because he didn't get that, it was time for him to move on. So we'll see where Click ends up down the road. Is that insulting? Maybe to him it was. I figured maybe let's run it back one more year And if for whatever reason, whatever talks that he's going to have with the owner, Jim Crane, that maybe next year he could sign a one-year deal or a multi-year deal after this year, who knows, but click out as GM. Let's see what the Astros do. I'm sure they'll probably promote from within. But besides that, nothing much to talk about when it comes to any of the big free agents or anything that's happening on the hot stove. I know that now we can have a Bobby Bonilla part two Scenario with Edwin Diaz, as it was reported, his contract, five years, $102 million. A lot of that's going to be deferred to the year 2042. So you want to start with the Bobby Bonilla jokes? You can. I've never bought into that. I've never cared about Bobby Bonilla Day on July 1st. And I guess you're going to have another one with Diaz. Who cares? That's all I got to say about that. And then lastly, you had a middleweight bout in MMA on Saturday night where... A lot of people were stunned that Alex Pereira beat Israel Adesanya in the fifth round, knockout to become the middleweight champ. And I understand that Adesanya was pretty much winning this fight throughout, but when you get to the fifth round, and could there be some question on whether or not that flurry that Pereira threw there, what was it, 201 left in the fifth round to where he did stun and daze Adesanya? But it looked like as he was falling, he was trying to get his balance. But then Pereira was able to throw another barrage. And then the referee stepped in, stopped the bout. I get it. You could probably look at until Adesanya was either, I'm not going to say out cold, but he was unable to defend himself 
or if you could see that Pereira was really putting it on him to where he had to jump in or had to step in, that would have been a knockout because as it was, it was a TKO based on the decision by the referee. But before I even get into that, Pereira is your winner. Now you got to wonder whether or not what's going to happen down the road. You would think there's going to be a rematch. Adesanya was a guy who is very reputable in that class. And I'm sure somewhere down the road, whether it's in the next couple of months or somewhere in the not-too-distant future, these guys are going to reconnect. They are going to have a rematch. But Pereira's made a bit of a name for himself here. And whether that was all based on the referee, considering that the cards look like Adesanya was going to be your winner. But even with that last second flurry and knowing that going into that final round, if you heard in the post-game or in the post-match commentary or post-match interview that Pereira knew that his corner had to go full abandon, knock him out because chances are if he didn't get a knockout or a knockdown that he would have lost his fight and was it premature by the referee to call it off? It's a tough call. I'm not much of an MMA connoisseur as you know. Of course, I try to stay on top of this just to not only share my thoughts and opinions, but also provide some analysis. And in watching that, it's debatable. I'll say that. I'm sure there's some that will say, oh no, he had to stop that fight because Adesanya was in trouble and Pereira just would have piled on. Or there could have been the others that, "Uh uh-uh, until he taps out or until, based on what we saw there, you're going to have two factions where they're going to say, no, keep it until he absolutely has nothing left. Or, no, he had to stop the fight. So, it's 50-50 if you ask me. And I get it. You could say Jay Reels, come on, either way. Again, it's debatable. I think that the referee could have let it go. But would have Adesanya would have recovered from that? Obviously, we're never going to know that. But it was probably unlikely that he would have. But then also at the same time, was it right for him to stop it? Knowing that Adesanya probably would have been at the point of no return. And they, he would have had no shot. So now we'll get to see whether or not when the rematch is going to be or what does this mean for the middleweight class, how much Alex Pereira gets some steam, gets some pub, gets some traction here as he tries to make a name and tries to get himself amongst the ranks of the middleweight class. As we all know, Adesanya, I believe, was ranked first and Pereira was ranked seventh when it comes to middleweight. So who knows? Does he move up in class there based even in those first four rounds where it was all Adesanya, but that last flurry was able to propel him to move up in the rankings. Who knows? But obviously we'll keep an eye on that moving forward to see whether or not Pereira is going to get a lot of gas in his tank and a lot of movement to see whether or not he moves up in this class and puts himself up there amongst the greats in the middleweight division. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. But as always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for giving your boy a shot I'm sure you could get, and I'm sure you do get, your sports news, critiques, etc. from other sources. But just knowing that you're here, I sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. If you haven't done so, please subscribe. Rate and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. Obviously, it's going to just bode well to increase the visibility with all the others that are out there. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up, please do so on any of my social media accounts, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. And of course, the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions, hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth. And I know as we get close to the end of this year, I have a couple of posts in me that I'm going to put out. I want to be able to gain a following here to have some exclusive content. And I know I got to do a better job at that. You know me with accountability and credibility. It's important for me. And also transparency. So yes, yours truly does have a plan here as we close out 2022 in just six weeks plus, people. Think about that. But whatever you want to put forth goes to the upkeep of the website the production, the everything that has to do with this podcast. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. Talking sports, anything and everything that has to do about sports, 
this is it. This is my present. This has been my past. And it's going to be my future full time. Not there yet. But with your help, I'm going to get there. Because whether you do or do not know, I love to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>